look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmel. I'm my co-host here, Dave Popwich. How you doing? I'm great. How about you? I'm excited. I'm out of here. Yeah, you're going on vacation. Yeah, I'm just waiting to get this thing over with so I can <laughs> leave you and make <laughs> oh, my way so on a plane. It's, it's, so it's all about you. It's like it's all about you. <laughs> I, I am. I'm. I'm literally well, packed. Sa- sadly, I will be facetiming you all throughout. I, I, all throughout. Your I'm vacation. leaving my phone here. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I'll find you. No, I need the Can Arrive <laughs> app or whatever it's called. So yeah, no, no, I can take my phone. So I'm got, excited. We're, I'm going yeah. out of the country. Yeah, I'm excited to see the, how this whole process of coming back into the country. Hopefully, they let me in, and, uh, and hopefully, the border guards and everything yeah. that's going on, right? Yeah. Is, yeah. With everything that's going on, yeah. it's going to be interesting to see. I'm going to be leaving the country first time in a long time, so it's going to be interesting to see that. And and um, it's a change. Right. It's a it's a different way of traveling. So we're we're going to find out how how that all works out. And uh, today's show is is also going to be about how things yeah. change in people's lives and how do you deal with it. We're we're talking about blended families today. Yeah, you know when when individuals get remarried and they have children of their own that they're bringing into a blended family situation. One of the biggest disputes, conversations, concerns that people have <clears throat> is what happens if I pass away and my money doesn't go to my children. Mm-hmm. And there are there are big differences between the provinces and how that's handled and what the law says. And it'll surprise people, and I would encourage everybody to stick around for this because I think you're going to be surprised that you may not just need a will, a personal directive, and a power of attorney, which is what we typically think of as the three key documents for your legacy. That may not be enough, depending on your situation. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm really looking forward to hearing more about what happens if if you're a blended family and and you've got some estate planning to do here. Um, The markets this week were a a bit choppy, my friend. They're a global blended family, my friend. This is, uh, you know, there was some ups and downs. Um, you know, uh, I, what's happening, it was interesting to watch the trading because the pattern is still intact where we get an up day, we'll get a down day, and there's a tug of war taking place. Yeah. Um, we prefer to call it range bound. You call it tug of war. <laughs> yeah, sure. It is. In, in my tug of war, right, I see on the one side in the morning, the market, you know, if it's down, they're feeling growth concerns about, about the Delta variant in particular and how that's impacting uh, the global reopening to different extents. Um, if it's an up day, uh, generally speaking, we're seeing strong earnings by corporations come out. Expectations were really high coming into this quarter and they're just skyrocketing and they're beating, right? So it, it's interesting to see, to see that. And so you put those two things together and you get to your definition of choppy, right? Yeah. It's, it, it, what, what is the market's mood on that particular day? We're not going to be done with this anytime soon. So what's been coming out this week uh, in a lot of my readings of analyst mm. reports, corporate reports, is the word peak. Yeah. Peak earnings. Right. Peak stimulus. Right. Peak is now the word for, if this was Sesame Street, the, the word of the month <laughs> is peak. Flash it up on the screen. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> The letters P. Anyways, I digress. The, the, the interesting part about the word peak is that that means it's not going to get any higher. Yeah. There's also, it's interesting. So peak, okay, let's talk about that. I'm also reading a lot about um, the notion of recovery versus expansion. So when are we done the economic recovery? When does the economy move into an expansion mode, right? 
And so we're going to, this is going to be a pretty active debate in the markets and amongst all the, uh, the journalists about where are we? So, so are we at peak earnings? Will companies make more money year over year? Because we're coming off of well, 2020. Is there going to be more stimulus, more money being pumped into the economy, either by central bankers or by fiscal spending? That's going to be a conversation. Are we in an expansionary mode right now, or is this an economic recovery mode? Mm -hmm. Debate, 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 all these four, which basically leads to volatility yeah. and a whole bunch of choppiness. So these are the types of markets when we, I call them range bound. That's purely looking at charts. Yeah. You call it tug of war. Uh, in a tug of war, somebody has to win. Mm -hmm. And when somebody wins, usually the ones at the very front holding that rope that get pulled, they end up falling on their face, <laughs> right? So this is where I think there's going to be quite a few individual yep. retail investors that are going to fall on their face over the next three to six months yep. because that tug of war pulled them too far. Yeah, and we, we, you know, we spoke about that at our recent uh, client conference call talking about uh, junk companies that have rallied, right? Uh, we've talked about where the puck is versus where it should be. So let, I, I want to actually switch gears to that because I think this is really interesting, right? So... We, we talked about the unevenness of economic recoveries across, around the world, right? The blended family, the blended global economy. Well, the fact is we've got some siblings that are fighting and some that are, you know, not doing as well in school as some of the others and you know, all these different things. Well, I would argue that we should be looking as investors, we should be looking at where the problems are. Because where the problems are is generally where the opportunities may lie. Ah, so let me give you the example of where people get worried about this. When the, when the crises happened with the pandemic yes. in the markets, mm -hmm. um, yes, panic set in, but there were a lot of people saying, hmm, here comes an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Now, let's look at around the world where the problems are. Mm -hmm. And let me pick on a region, let's say Asia, because I'll use the vaccination rates yep. as a, a starting point. Okay. The vaccination rates in Asia are substantially lower than they are in Western Europe and, and in North America. So the problem is over there. When I speak to people and say, that's also where the opportunity is, they sit back and go, no, 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 how dare you look at that area? It's, right. just, it's too foreign. It's outside of my thought process. Yep. When it was in North America, yeah, yeah, we're going to recover. But why can't Asia recover, which happens to have, what, 70% of the population? Well, um, and, and, and really the global supply chain, everything gets everything. taken through Southeast Asia. Everything. Everything. And so that's where I think the opportunity lies. Right. <clears throat> the problem is that it's going to be an easy run-up like it was right. in North America right. because you've got different regimes, different vaccination rates, and so forth. But I think there's opportunity there, and I'm really excited to, to do more digging in. I think what, what China's doing to try to control information and technology at a time like this, very interesting. I think there's going to be some opportunities to make some money along the way. Yeah. The interesting problem is when you focus on uh, the problem or where the opportunity lies, it can be choppy and volatile. So it's really important that everybody get proper advice as to whether or not, you know, an, an investment strategy is suitable for them, right? It's really, really important that you do that. But as a general comment, right, history tells us that if you can navigate those problems and you have an appropriate time horizon, right, risk profile, all those other things, there are those problem areas are where you can take advantage of those. Uh, well, you can take advantage of the problem and profit from it, right? Correct. So it's going to be very interesting. The markets are, are um, all over the place and trying to digest all of this. You know, the daily price discovery, which means the market's moving up and down, scares the bejesus out of people all the time. That's volatility. We're not done with that, right? The fact is that the 
the, the global recovery is never linear, right? Any problem is never solved in a linear fashion. Yeah. It's, we called, you know, we called our summary aspect in our, in our conference called two steps forward, one step back. And I think we've got to expect that particularly at this time. Yeah. So when it comes to that type of volatility, when it comes to the, the, the amount of choppiness, the tug of war that we've been talking about, no one really wants to fall on their face when you're in that tug of war. No, that's right. No one wants to take major hits to their savings. And people who are transitioning to or living in retirement, you're really close, you can see that, that date of retirement, or you've already retired, the, the sensitivity to volatility goes up. It does. The sensitivity to loss of money, like capital gone, is even higher. You yep. don't have many years or time to recover. So what is the right strategy to bulletproof those scenarios? The choppiness, the unknown, taxes, healthcare, yep. you know, retirement, all the things, your family members, the, we talk, we're gonna be talking about blended family in just a bit. All these different issues come up at a time where we are in a really weird state in the economy. So how do you bulletproof that retirement? Um, we often talk about the transition of assets from a whole bunch of different perspectives, right? But one of the things, Faisal, you and I talk to people about um, is about how it's a gift, right? When, you're, when you have a legacy that you're putting together, it's a gift, the gift you're going to leave behind. Yeah. And I've not had anybody ever say to me, the gift I want to leave behind is a lawsuit and a family dynamic where everybody's arguing and there's all kinds of problems. Nobody has ever said that. Fair? <laughs> very, very fair. All right. or, or give money to Revenue Canada. Or give money to Revenue Canada. Can you Canada. make Revenue Canada my number one beneficiary <laughs> on, my, on my list, please? Nobody's ever said that. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So given that, there are some complexities when we talk about blended families, right? And there's lots of people in a situation where it's a second marriage and that just adds a bit of complexity to how that gift is going to be given. Yeah. Conventionally, when you're in, a, in your first marriage and you have your own children, it's pretty much linear yeah. in how things are. Uh, the minute you end, uh, start off with a second spouse, um, and that individual has children of their own. Now you're called a blended family, yep. and now things get a little bit more tricky. Right. So I want to bring up a, a, a conversation that I had with a client of ours. Um, this is a blended family, mm -hmm. husband and wife. Wife has kids from her previous marriage. Husband has kids from his previous marriage. And here, his fear is that if he passes away, predeceases pre his wife, that all the money will go to his wife, and then when she passes, all will go to her children, and his children are left out. Sure, fair so concern. So what he was, was thinking of is, he goes, Faisal, what if I put everything in like a program, a trust, or something, where my wife can have um, full enjoyment of the assets, the property, yeah. the principal residence, for the next 10 years, then after that, it all goes to my kids. So she's got 10 years to figure herself out after I die, and then my kids get the rest of the money. Well, that kind of brought a little weird feeling in my stomach, like, oh, okay, well, hang on. <laughs> Financially, I can get that, my head around that. But what about the legal issues? Right. Does the law allow that? Is there there's some rules, possibly, that we have to explore? And because, well, A, I'm not a lawyer. B, too complex for my little brain. <laughs> so we got to have big brain, smart brain, and a lawyer on board right. here. And that's why we're joined with Jennifer Lamb, partner at Cars Gallon LLP. Jennifer is a reoccurring guest. Uh, she knows her stuff when it comes to estate planning, one of the best, if I call her the best, when it comes to uh, state litigation. So she gets in front of judges talking and arguing about these types of cases. So you want to know what gets in front of a judge. 
Jennifer, welcome to the show. Oh, well, thank you so much, Faisal and Dave, for having me. It's always a pleasure to come on and uh, share our war stories and hopefully share some really uh, helpful and informative tips to all of our listeners and our, our good clients. Now, listen, Jen, no disrespect to you because you do a wonderful job, but nobody ever wants to meet you professionally because it means there's a problem that's happened. Right? So the goal today is to try to get you out of business and help people structure in a way <laughs> that they don't ever have to meet you professionally. Personally, I would recommend anybody to meet you. You're a wonderful person. So let's talk about Faisal's, uh, the situation that came up with Faisal. Um, what can that client do? So this, um, for this type of scenario or similar scenarios involving usually blended families and um, several uh, adult children, well, it doesn't have to be adult children, but also minors can be involved. Um, there is the starting point of knowing that one's obligation is to provide for your spouse or adult interdependent partner and your uh, dependent children um, on your death. And so using your recent example of your client, well, that might be a valid concern as to making sure that one's legacy is left for a second or third spouse for a period of time, and then the remainder to uh, biological children. That isn't always the way that a, a court um, or our law might see that as just and fair. So again, the starting point is there is a legal and moral obligation to provide for a spouse or adult interdependent partner. And that your client's situation um, would mean that 10 years may not be adequate. That, that might mean that there is an obligation to provide for much longer than that. And so in Alberta, we have this tension, and as in most provinces, although there are very distinct certain provinces that have very different laws on, on wills and succession, uh, but there, there is an obligation to provide for your spouse into the lifestyle that they were accustomed uh, to while you were living. And so it is a very tricky problem. Um, so talking about an estate plan, of course you don't want to have litigation after you're gone. You don't want your family members and your, you know, your spouse and your adult children uh, fighting with one another about who is entitled to what. And so open and honest communication right from the get-go um, will help these families to really decide what will um, bulletproof their estate from any unfortunate litigation that might happen after they pass away. So, so Jennifer, the, the, the thoughts that were going through uh, my male client's mind was when these two individuals got together, um, they didn't come together with equivalent amount of assets. So he brought more to the table from an asset perspective than she did. And so his concern is if he was to pass away and she has the same lifestyle for the rest of her life, that there may not be any assets left behind for his children. So how do we solve for that problem? Does the law take into account that there are biological children that also need to be accounted for? Or does it say, suck to be you, child, uh, you're adult, you're on your own, uh, your dad just got remarried, so she takes priority? You know what, that's such a common problem, and it shocks most um, of my clients when I tell them the unfortunate the news that adult children in Alberta that do not have a physical or mental disability that prevents them from earning an income, um, those adult children have no entitlement to a parent's estate. You have to prove dependency. 
and fall within the definition of a family member under the Wills and Succession Act. So very different from BC. In British Columbia, the Wills Variation Act, I believe, uh, that, is, that is where you do want to be an estate litigator in Canada because they have the most interesting cases because of the fact that adult children can say, hey, wait a second, I'm entitled to something from mom or dad's estate. So again, speaking to your client, a very valid concern that he would have, one of my questions would be, do they, did they have a prenuptial agreement in place that talked about how their assets would be divided um, on divorce um, and that a court, if there were a state litigation following um, this gentleman's death and the wife decided to bring a claim against his estate, a prenuptial agreement would be one of many factors that the court looks at when deciding a claim for maintenance and support. I've just had new clients in, uh, we spoke actually over the weekend, a very similar concern. They're married, they had no children together, married for 24 years. She has a son from a prior marriage. She's got concerns about leaving her entire estate to her, her spouse. He's only 60, her son is 37. I said the, to the, the, the example was, of course you would leave him something but perhaps not the entire thing. And the scenarios that we ran through, what if he got remarried in, in a number of years, he's only 60, and perhaps he became demented, uh, perhaps he became the victim of elder abuse, and then all of a sudden, um, my client, uh, the wife, the who would then be deceased, all of her legacy would potentially fall into hands that she would have never intended for them to receive. And so we talked about what an appropriate Split would be between providing adequately for her husband but also providing for her adult son who does not have any legal entitlement but who she would want to see him have something so again a very common scenario the complexity of a blended family just gets elevated yeah. right off the get-go yeah. and so let me tell you let me ask you a question here you're sitting around at a bar or at, at in your in your backyard with a bunch of your friends and uh, one of your friends goes, I'm going to get remarried. Mm -hmm. I've got my kids. She's got her kids. What's the first question you're going to ask? One of the first questions you're going to ask. Why are you putting me on the spot like well, that? It's because guys talk like this. <laughs> so I thought we were going to have a guy chat right now. And Well, I might ask something along the lines of, do you have an agreement in place? Yeah. Of, you know, um, going into this. Yeah, right? Like a prenuptial agreement. Right. Common conversation right. that we would have with our friends who are, are looking at getting remarried. Right. So... What Jennifer was talking to us uh, before the break was about the courts look at what's a prenuptial agreement. And I want to kind of touch on that with Jennifer and what happens if this blended family, one spouse passes away, how does this all get into, into, into perspective from a legal side right. of it? And then how do you structure yourself uh, overall? So we've been joined by, uh, with Jennifer Lamb, partner at Cars Gallon. She's a reoccurring guest. I call her the estate guru of all, of all things when it comes to our, <laughs> our, our legal system. So Jennifer, welcome back. And uh, we were just talking about prenuptial, uh, prenuptial agreements. I believe there are postnuptial agreements. These are um, some of the pieces that a judge would look at in the event that a, a an estate has been, I'll use the word contested, yeah, sure, um, sure. Or, 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 or looked at. Um, so when a blended family, or when two people are thinking to get together to blend a family, prenuptial agreement and or postnuptial agreement, are they big factors of what would happen in the event one of the spouses pass away? 
Absolutely, these are these are excellent topics to be covering, and uh, I can say at, at the outset they are very important documents. Um, the prenuptial agreement, in particular, um, but I must say at the outset I think uh, this raises the question of what are your what is what are one's rights and obligations to biological children um, and stepchildren, and there is a very interesting case. Um, from 2015 from our Court of Queen's Bench that was affirmed by our Court of Appeal here in Alberta that did um, underscore and highlight the importance of if you want to provide for your stepchildren you better make a will because if you died without a will the our legislation has been interpreted that lineal descendants do not include stepchildren so you want to be very very clear with your estate plan and your intentions how you want to provide for your spouse in a blended family, and how you want your stepchildren, if any, um, to be provided for. Because half-siblings half um, will be considered family members under the Act, but stepchildren are not yet, that has not been crystallized. And so, talking about the importance of agreements, um, the law in Alberta still is, well, a prenup, prenuptial agreement, a postnuptial agreement are factors to be considered. One can never contract out of their moral and legal obligations. So we've had um, many of my good family law uh, lawyer friends who, who are always appalled at how the estate world works in that um, even though you've got a very carefully drafted prenuptial or postnuptial agreement, a court can still disregard that if they find that a will does not provide adequately for a spouse or an adult interdependent partner. So that always raises everyone's eyebrows because you say, look, here's the contract, here's the agreement we signed, but it can still be overridden by a court. So just so that we have some clarity on this part is that when you say the moral and legal obligation to care for that surviving spouse, is it in the lifestyle they've been accustomed to while you were together? Is that what the courts are looking at? Like, what are some of the factors that people need to be aware of when they start to draw up this, this estate plan, their wills, powers of attorney, and personal directive? Absolutely, Faisal. So there's a very uh, lengthy list within the Wills and Succession Act that enumerates the factors that a court looks at. So they look at the size of the estate, the income of the partners, what gifts were given during lifetime. Um, so oftentimes, let's just say by way of an example, um, a wife such as your clients uh, would make a claim against his estate after he passed away and perhaps she received large sums of money over the course of their, uh, over the course of their relationship. Um, you know, luxury homes, vehicles, trips, houses, things like that, they'll, they would, the courts would look at that as one factor. You would also look at, of course, your, your lifestyle, your income, your expenses, other gifts or sources of income that the surviving partner or spouse may have received. And then ultimately, the court has very broad discretion in these types of claims against estates to consider any other factors that they deem relevant. So it is, again, a very, it's, it's fascinating area of the law, um, but it's also in a way very frustrating because there isn't a lot of clarity. Every case is um, looked at so subjectively and there, there's such a fat, you know, it's a case by case basis on how these courts look at these, at these claimants um, for maintenance and support. So when it comes to the objective of our client who said, I just want to make sure my kids are okay. We've built this together over the years 
and I want to make sure my kids are okay. What would you suggest to people who have that mindset? What should they be looking at and how do they protect their, their, the money or the asset or the value for, the, for that children or that child? And we're using the um, vehicle of the spousal trust um, time and time again in our estate planning documents. So you've got a, 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 the residue of your estate is in trust for your spouse whereby the trustee or executor um, provides the spouse, the surviving spouse with um, their lifestyle that they wish that they were accustomed to with the remainder, if any, um, then is divided um, to the children, the surviving children in equal shares. That's again, these are there's many, many different ways to structure it, but that's at a very high level, that's a very common structure we recommend. Now again, you, you would ask the question, well, what if there isn't anything left? Well, we've also talked about um, doing inter, inter vivos gifts. So gifting now while you're still alive, if you want your children um, to have something, um, do, you know, gift now, maybe not outright, but also create, create trusts for your children now, such that their shares are, some share of their estate are put into trust, and then those are sort of separate and a part of the estate administration process. And so those trusts are not disclosed in the estate administration. Yeah. And, and Jennifer, you could probably, yeah, you could probably add to that list of things, uh, insurance. We do see that in instances where there's equalization strategies put in place. So there are, there are things to do, and I think that's the takeaway um, in, in that particular case, right? But they here's, have to be planned for. Here's where my frustration lies in this one point. There are ways to plan for this, and here's what, yeah. typically what I hear. You know, Faisal, I bought my house through my, uh, through my, uh, with an agent, uh, they recommended me some lawyer to do my real estate deal. And guess what? He or she does wills too. Right. And now comes a blended family issue, so, many co so much more complex than a basic will. And they're getting a, a lawyer, because they think all lawyers are the same. I'm surprised that people still think that today. But, um, and they're going to draw this up without the full understanding of all the issues. Right. And this is why really knowing what the skill set of that legal professional is Understand you're going to get an expert on board. This is why when we have these types of shows, we don't bring anybody on our show. We right. bring the experts on the show because right. they know their stuff. So for those of you who are listening to the, the, this and saying, okay, I need, maybe need to get some legal advice, make sure you've got some really good legal advice from the experts in this. And, and Jennifer, just, just so since we're on the topic, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, uh, feel free, all of you, to, to reach out to us Go to morethanmoneyradio.com. We'd be more than happy to make an introduction to, to Jennifer. But Jennifer, if they want to reach out directly to you, how do they do that? Um, certainly, that's much appreciated. We'd be more than happy to uh, hear from, from any of our listeners and clients today. Um, Carscallon, LLP. Um, and my, uh, if you Google me, I'll pop right up. And my direct line is 403-298-8455. And I'd be happy to talk with anyone at any time. Um, about these challenging issues because you know as much as we us litigators love being in the courtroom um, these family disputes are are very very difficult and uh, very sad to see that the, the if proper planning and communication have not been executed um, you know these family disputes can go on for years and years and years and uh, at the end of the day the lawyers get paid and not you know that 
that's unfortunately one of our outcomes. So we, we strive in the, in the planning and working with advisors such as yourselves to really make sure our clients have a, a comprehensive um, estate and investment plan and a plan for retirement and a plan for the legacy bucket. Um, we can actually avoid a lot of the, a lot of the heartbreak that we do see. That's great. Thank you very much, Jennifer, for your input. We appreciate you taking the time and we'll look forward to chatting again. There's so many different and interesting topics to talk about in the proper uh, planning of legacy. The Parliamentary Budget Office um, this week came out with an estimate of cost. Uh -huh. and it was an estimate of cost um, in response to a question proposed by a member of Parliament about how can we improve or fix the current um, long-term health care program infrastructure in Canada. Let me guess what they said. Throw more money at it. Yes. Yay. Let's talk the about that. The solution to every problem. <laughs> and it was throw more money at it. It was not chump change. So let me put it in perspective, okay? <laughs> Is it ever? No, no. Has it ever been chump change no. with the parliamentary budget no, office? No. If you just give five dollars, look at all fix. <laughs> Never heard that. Yeah, this was something else. But so we've got an aging population. We know that. Yeah. Okay. Um, we've got concerns uh, about the, the system given what we've been through in the pandemic, um, that's been very public. So an interesting question to ask, and there's all kinds of things that were being proposed, like increasing wages by 15% for the people that work in these facilities, taking it up to an average of just over 25 bucks. Looking at the 52,000 Canadians that are on wait lists that can't get into facilities right now, how do you support them while they're at home, right? Looking at increasing the amount of hours of care per patient from three to four, it, you know, it was, it was a big list. Currently, we spend $13.6 billion on those programs right now. Parliamentary Budget Office says to introduce these new measures to improve the system, cost another 13.7. We double mm -hmm. the program. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, where in the heck do we get that money from? And if public finances cannot support that, where does it come from? Ah, uh, now you're speaking like a fiscal conservative, my friend. <laughs> if the public cannot afford it. Well, they're going to make it happen. Well, Here's my thoughts. They are going to do this strategy for two reasons. One, there's a need. Yeah, there is a need. Number two, it is political suicide, in my opinion, that if any, any party comes out and says, we're not going to help 30% of the demographic that's going to be voting in the next election because that's who it's going to impact in the short term or happening right now to themselves or someone that they care about. It's not going to happen. They're spending this money. There is going to be another $14 billion being spent. It may not be in the, in the uh, recommendations of the, the, the budget office, but they're spending $14 billion, and it might turn out to be more. Right. Okay. So it's happening. The question, you know, the comment you made earlier was, how are we going to pay for it? We're going to pay for it if we like it or not. And who's going to pay for it? We're all going to pay for it if we like it or not. And it's going to come in the form of taxes. Mm -hmm. Now, here's my problem. I do not believe taxes are going down anytime soon. I've yet to hear someone say, we're going to cut everybody's taxes by 50% and provide you more services too. It's not going to happen. Right? Well, thanks. Right? I was having a good day till I started yeah, well, talking well, to you. Well, let's welcome to the dose of reality here. <laughs> so so we got, we've got this problem that taxes are going up. Yeah. We do know that 75 Two to 75% of the wealth in this country are people who are within less than 10 years of retirement or already in retirement. Right. It's there. That's right. Okay. So they control the wealth. Now, the problem is how do you get more money out of that demographic 
but you got to give them something like give them this extra long-term care program where people are getting the services that they want. Here's my biggest problem. Have you ever heard of a government program where they do it better than the, than the private sector? I can't think of one. Give me a minute. Give me a minute. No. No? Okay. So, so we're both stuck on this. <laughs> and if any of you listening or watching right now know of a program where the government does it better than the private sector, please let me know. Right. Because I don't know of one. That being said, it's no longer going to be a question of will we get these services? Because I think it's coming. I just don't think it's going to be the quality that most Canadians would love to have. Which means? Which means for a second time, they're paying out of pocket. Right. Their taxes are going up and they will pay additional services. Right. right? So, so let's, let's go through, and I think this is the case. You've got two daughters under the age of 18 right now. You go and get a vision test done, covered by the government. Mm -hmm. Okay, we've tested you. If they need glasses to see, does the government cover that? Right. No. No. So it's partly covered. If you want quality, I don't know, eyesight to see, you got to pay out of pocket. So that's the kind of thing I'm kind of giving an analogy on is you're going to get maybe instead of three hours of care, you're going to get four hours of care. But if four is not enough, you're paying out of pocket. Yep. If you want the quality of care that you believe yourself or your loved one deserves, you're paying out of pocket. And, and, and the takeaway from this, Faisal, and you make all really, really good arguments, is forget the dollar figure for a minute. There's problems in the system. We've already identified that we need an improvement in that. Now, the question that people have to face is, again, you've got to ask some questions about the quality of care and quality of life that you want. All, all good arguments. Maybe somebody has a different opinion than you. But the point is, it's still going to cut. No matter what happens, there's a big hole. There's more care needed. People are going to pay for it out of their pocket. Just depends on what they're going to be paying for, right? Regardless of taxes go up, regardless of more money goes into the system, they're still paying for it. So now comes the biggest challenge. In the first 10 to 15 years of a person's retirement, I call those the fun years. Yeah. You're experiencing things, you're traveling, you're doing a whole bunch of activities. Your experiences are, are in that first phase. In the second phase of your life, your mobility starts to slow down, you're not as active as you used to be, and you may need some support. Right. Not full around-the-clock care, but some support. In phase three, that's when you need the actual care of a human being or services provided to you to give you a comfortable life and to handle any illnesses that you may have that are long-term. Yep. And now you're coming out of pocket cost. As you go through these three phases, let's call it over a 20, 25-year lifespan, in the background, taxes are going up. Yeah. In the background, the government are trying to figure out how to be more fiscally responsible. I roll my eyes on that one because I've yet to see it. Um, and in the background, you're going to be experiencing huge volatility with your assets. It, you're coming into a big problem here. You're coming into the, one of the most complex times of your life and the one biggest change that happens, you don't have the ability or the, the, the uh, access to make as much income as you want to when you are working. Right. You're 100% dependent on the savings that you have. And you're, cover, you're coming across these different issues. It is a very complex point in your life. And it's not just financial complexity, as we've just, you know, as we've just talked about. It's, it's structuring... The outcome. Like, if you think about peace of mind, I mean, I raised this parliamentary budget office thing only really is to say 
it, it's going to get more difficult going forward. There's a quality of care people want. We've got to start thinking about how we're going to do that. Yes, maybe we pay some of it. You're paying. Some of it might come in the form of taxes. Some of it might be personal. The fact is that, fund, that system has to be funded. Complexity there, right? You don't want, I've got a friend right now taking care of uh, elderly parents. It's been a year and a half in complete isolation for him. I can tell you the mental cost that I see him going through is extraordinary. He's not working, Yeah. right? So there's a financial cost there, right? How, how are these things planned for? Peace of mind is ultimately what retirement should be, right? And there's a whole bunch of things that are going to tug at your ability I can tell for you, peace of mind. I can tell you what phase our clients are in based upon the conversations that we have. If the conversation is heavily about stocks, bonds, economy, and markets, I know they're in phase one, the fun years. Right. When they start talking about what Excellent. my spouse wants, what I need, what my kids want, how is this going to happen, I know they're in or entering phase two. Experiences become really important. Yes, that becomes the highlight. Right. When they're entering or near phase three, they're now concerned about the kind of care they're going to receive. They don't want to be a burden to their children. They, you can just tell based on the conversations. Being a specialist in this part of a person's life really gives me insight on what phase are they in and how do we prep them for the next phase. Yeah. Because they don't know what's coming. They're still worried about, hey, this market's doing this way and we're in range right. bound and look at the charts, Faisal. And I'm like, <laughs> you better look at the chart on, on the next phase because right. you're going gotta to change your viewpoint on how you consider it an experience. And that's the interesting part that's happening. I think now is the time we need to package all of this together you that you're thinking about whatever phase you're in. And yep. I get it. But know that there's a team behind you that's going to fo focus on what phase you're going to be going to work. That's right. What, what should you be anticipating for the next phase, right? And let's that's talk perfect. about what we're going to do. And we're going to have that conversation and provide you ways to bulletproof your retirement on Tuesday, August 24th, 7 p.m., live online. Now, you need to register for this, so go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Well, thanks for tuning in for another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. On behalf of Faisal and myself, Dave, we look forward to chatting with you next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.